Lost World Minute, the minute by minute podcast reviewing 1997 sequel Jurassic Park one minute time. I'm Brad. I'm Nick. And today we're here to discuss Minute 66 of Lost World. And last week after the uh, demise of the trail we sort of talked a little bit about the Lost World RV restoration team and what they're doing. Um, this week there's been a little bit of progress. It's uh, past California's smog regulations test which means it's one step closer to touring the country. Mm-hmm. Which is really great because California has strict... Uh smog uh, testing because especially places like San Francisco have uh, been known to be smoggy. Same with LA. Yeah. LA has always been known to have that kind of LA haze over it. <laughs> yeah. And it's 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 weird though. Cool. It's a good thing in another sort of form too because it's a vehicle from the late 90s or mid 90s. Um, oh yeah, exactly. It's still passing the current tests um, mm-hmm. and it's been parked out in the middle of nowhere rotting away for X amount of years where all the exhaust system and that sort of stuff uh, because as far as we know the videos haven't touched on it but as far as we know engine wise and that it's still exactly the same as what it was back then they've just put a new radiator in it so I don't know what the emissions on a uh, 460 Ford big block are but um, I could imagine if it's chewing a lot of fuel then that'd probably be putting out a bit of emissions but <laughs> mm-hmm. they were the same and it was only in the 90s that we only kind of start started thinking about kind of um smog emissions and car emissions and stuff like that because it was really when uh, the idea of climate change started really becoming a popularized idea yeah yeah in the early 90s and coming into the later 90s it sort of was all about the environmental the environmental sort of focus on um, global warming and that sort of stuff so um, mm-hmm. it's I suppose California being one to be so strict on it because it's got a very large population of people mm-hmm. but um, I don't know if it's if they're planning on going as far west as Chicago but um, no east sorry <laughs> as far east as Chicago but um, unless they put a big balloon on top of it or some wings it's not going to get this far East. <laughs> um, I'm hoping it does, though. I would love to see it in person. Well, the whole the whole point, well, what one main thing they're wanting to do with it is um, the forward section of the trail is going to be fitted out to sleep in and that um, keeping it as, as screen accurate as they can but setting it up with the modern conveniences so Frank can sort of tour the country and show it off. So, And, mm-hmm. of course, live out of it so you don't have to worry about the whole accommodation expenditures. So... I just can't wait to see it return to Patrick's Point. Surely that's got to be one of the first stops oh, on its tour. Be so cool. Yeah, I'd have to uh, try and call some people in the local area and see if I can get someone to follow on with the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Although they'll take printed photos anyway. But um, I sort of fudged up their name last week. It's uh, on Facebook, Jurassic Park, the Lost World RV Restoration Team. Um, just search for that on Facebook and YouTube and... You'll see the uh, the videos of their work and what they're doing, where the trail is at, and message them to go and have a look if you're in the area. Mm-hmm. And I never thought in a million years how I'm going to get you to come here. Right. I figured out how the animals survive without lysine. I don't care. All right, ready to get into 66. Sure. All right. As we entered in 65 of the Lost World, Nick and Dita had started going at each other, quickly pulled apart by the hunters. Roland had come in between the two and suddenly recognised Nick as that Earth's first bastard, isn't he? 
Doesn't start man. 66. Ludlow arcs rolling. Earth first. What's that? Rowan replies. Professional saboteurs. At 66 minutes and 5 seconds, Sarah tells the men to knock it off and to listen to her. By moving the baby wrecks, they may have changed the perceived territories of the adult Tyrannosaurs and that they need to move right now. At 66 minutes and 18 seconds, Ian asks, move, move where? Our boat, their airlift, they're both waiting for an order we have no way of sending. At 65 minutes and 21 seconds, Thodlow says alright, alright, and starts scrummaging around in his bag. Pulls out an old map and says this is a communication centre in the old operations building. Hammond ran in front of geothermal power. It was never meant to need replenishing. If we can get there, we can send the call for help. At 65 minutes and 38 seconds, Roland takes the map and communication book from Ludlow, saying, we'll mind those. Nick asks how far away the village is, and Ludlow replies, a day's walk, maybe more, and then spots something over on the ground. At 65 minutes and 46 seconds, Ludlow bends down and picks up a hip flask laying in the mud, and says, that's not the problem. Seeing Ludlow go for alcohol once again, Roland asks, what is, what is the problem, in a stern voice. At 55 seconds, Ludlow takes a big swig of the hip flask and says Velociraptors. The beating drums pick up their pace. We hear an eerie flute playing the Jurassic Park theme. And Ian pulls Kelly closer. And this ends minute 66 of The Lost World. At the end of 65, we had Roland recognising Nick and uh, points him out as that Earth First bastard. And um, mm-hmm. Ludlow's sort of Earth First, what's that? And Roland... Well, like Roland and Nick sort of, and sort of back and forth real quick here. Um, Roland says professional saboteur, and uh, I've I always thought sick Nick said it they were firemen, so like trying to. Hey. Uh, I think he was using firemen in a different connotation here. Well, that's what I always thought he said, but in the script it says we're environmentalists, but he definitely doesn't say that. That's a lot bigger <laughs> word with different vowels and mm-hmm. grammar, so. Um, I think he's using firemen in the connotation of, as in their, um, I don't want to use the word violent, but that's kind of what they are, mm. is they're violent um, protesters for the environment. Yeah. And yeah, Roland comes straight back with criminals, which we've seen what Nick's prepared to do here um, mm-hmm. in protest, so you can only imagine what uh, happened in Bosnia and all that, but... Um, it's never actually des- described here how Roland recognises Nick. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the pre-San Diego script or the regular script where it's actually brought up about Brazil. Is it Brazil where they met uh, before? I think it was the early script. Okay. Where Nick was actually in South Africa, uh, South America, where Roland was on a leopard hunt or something in the yeah, area. And um, Nick was part of a demonstration team that sort of stepped in and stopped the animal from being killed. Yeah, um, it was supposed to tie into Roland's characterization as, like, the Great White Hunter. Yep. Where he hunts after them in... Or where he hunts after them with uh, spears because he felt it would be dishonorable to hunt after them with any other kind of weapon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sort of um, taking a leaf from the locals as they mm-hmm. would have hunted... Um, earlier. But... I think that feelings kind of got transformed in the final shooting script where Roland kind of feels regretful 
that he wasn't able to act more like how the early script portrayed him. Yeah. And so he kind of acts uh, towards uh, Ajay that he was regretful that they were, weren't able to kind of get away with their li- with the skin of their teeth uh, more often. Yeah. Yep. We got all that if the uh, deleted bar scene mm-hmm. earlier that we never got to see in the film, but um, yeah. But uh, Sarah sort of steps in here and tells him to knock it off. In in the script, it's sort of um, Burke and her Burke and her tell the men to sort of keep it quiet earlier on when they first start their arguing, because mm-hmm. they obviously know that the Tyrannosaurus could be around and could hear them. But Sarah goes into her little spiel here that by moving the baby. Uh, baby Rex into their camps um, they may have changed the adults perceived territory uh, Ludlow's there what <laughs> He's, mm-hmm. he doesn't know what they're talking about and then we sort of Burke steps in here and um, it's why they persisted in destroying the trailers they feel they have to defend this entire area and Sarah's so we have mm-hmm. to move right now which is going back into um, that fight though before, they, before uh, right after Sarah says knock it off and before they uh, go back to this conversation that they're having. I think it's interesting how um, Ian, how uh, Nick goes, tries to go and attack Roland again. And uh, they're holding him back, but then uh, Ian goes and just drags the guy with the long hair off Nick's back. <laughs> and the guy with the long hair in the background is just like, okay, okay, man. He just throws his hands up like, I'm done with this. Yeah. He must be getting as paid as getting paid as much as the other mercenaries. <laughs> um, so they Sarah and Burke both have sort of brought this um, brought this up that by moving the baby Rex around it's sort of it's changed the Tyrannosaurus territory. Um, mm-hmm. or what they perceive their territory to be, which I'm they sort of only mention the trailers, whereas okay, maybe because they t- the Tyrannosaurs didn't actually attack the Hunter's Camp um, or go to the Hunter's Camp as far as we know. But you'd think their search for the baby would have let them past the Hunter's Camp and then onto the trailers, but mm-hmm. that's not that's not how it happened. Nick sort of... Uh, Nick arcs move where our boat, their airlift. They're both waiting for an order we have no way to send. Which, in the background here, you can see there's still one or two Unimogs parked there. Not all the Jeeps caught on fire. <laughs> Although there is some smoke mm-hmm. still um, rising into the air behind them, but there's no no one's got a walkie-talkie in the car or a radio in the car. We we know Roland had his head headset on earlier. Mhm. I think that's all short-range radio stuff. I don't think that's actually able to get them a call to the mainland. You know. Well, that's I'm trying to remember back to the boat captain now. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he was anchoring offshore. I'm pretty sure he was going back to. Costa Rica. Yeah, he definitely was. He said that he was not going to stick around at all. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, the short wave, even getting up on one of those high cliffs, you still wouldn't be able to, or night time, you might be able to reach the coast, but Ludlow starts rummaging through with the bag he's got around his shoulder, and um, mm-hmm. says, all right, all right. There's a communication centre here in the old operations building as he pulls out the map, pulls out a prop map, which I really want. <laughs> Oh, really? I would love it. Yeah. If there's even anything on there, though, I mean, we never actually do see it. It might as well. It might very well be a blank piece of paper he's staring at. Yeah, there's not even a the slight glimpse of even an outline of the island or anything. 
Um, mm-hmm. Knowing Spielberg and his directorial style, that could very well be a possibility. Mm. Half the time on Jaws, the actors spent the spent their time staring at an imaginary shark yeah. in a boat. Yeah. In the um in the actual script, it's sort of Ludlow while while um they're talking about the uh, not having a radio or a satellite phone because it's jumbled up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. He's actually um, sifting through some satellite photos, so he pulls this photo out and. Um, I, I don't know if it can be the whole island map. I reckon it's got to be a, a more of a closer zoom-in image because later they sort of mention the rocky climb down mm-hmm. and that it's right down in there. We'll get the drop here, the communication centre and the old operations building. Hammond ran everything on geothermal power and it was never mm-hmm. meant to need replenishing. If we can get there, we can send the radio single or send the radio call for the airlift. And it's a great little tie-back here to the novel where the whole facility is run on geothermal power. Mm-hmm. Um, now, after the, after the fact, they've sort of hinted at a geothermal power plant on Ublow of Jurassic Park, the game. I don't like to see that as canon, but it's possible we might be seeing that in the future. I just don't know how, how geothermal power could sort of power that much infrastructure in a park setting. With the size well, I'm of... sure that in the original Jurassic Park they used a mixture of um, a mixture of power sources. You know, it would explain why some power seems to still be on in the film, mm-hmm. uh, mainly mm-hmm. lights. If you've got geothermal power just powering your basic lighting and that sort of thing, then it's quite possible. Mm-hmm. So we've got we've got a goal here. We know where we need to go. Ian sort of asks if they've got the frequency written down somewhere because he's still hung up on not being able to find the frequency from before <laughs> for their boat. Mm-hmm. And Ludlow pulls a little notebook out of his bag as well into view. And uh, he says, right here in this book. And um, he opens it and grabs the torch and tries to read. And another little moment here where he just sort of seems to be still a little bit intoxicated. Um, mm-hmm. Roland grabs the book. He, the map's already been handed off to RJ and Roland grabs the book. And uh, we'll mind those. Mm. which, again, as you said last minute, sort of this is now Roland not trusting Ludlow with the important stuff. Yeah, exactly. Roland's basically uh, now on rich dentist level with Ludlow right now. Yeah, yep, exactly. My My issue with it is it's the frequency for the airlift, um, which even if Ian or Nick or someone gets it, they're in the same boat, so they're not going to say, turn around, we'd, everything's good here, thank you, how are you? <laughs> and, and not sort <laughs> of and not sort of jeopardise their rescue, but you've you got this important information with you and RJ, and we see what happens to RJ later. It's only a fluke that Nick found RJ's bag mm-hmm. with all that important information on it. And I think it was at this point that it was just... Roland trusted Ajay more than any other person in the that was on the island at the time, and he didn't expect um, anything to go so badly or for Nick to sabotage his gun. And we're going to get in a minute. He uh, at this point too, he doesn't realise there's going to be some issues with getting to where they need to go. Um, mm-hmm. Nick asks Ludlow how far away the village is, and Ludlow says oh, a day's walk, maybe more. 
Um, and then sort of, uh, uh, and sees something on the ground, sees something and walks off anyway. And um, mm-hmm. it's sort of at this point, it sort of makes you wonder how much research Ludlow himself done with old engine files before coming to the island. He knows uh, knows about the worker village and all that. He wouldn't have, I don't know if he would have been at InGen when the site or site B was in operation or even the park or if he'd come in after the fact. It's possible that um, he was on the board or something like that because that's how he took um, control of InGen from him in the first place. He was a board member and they voted to replace him as CEO. Mm. I wonder if... um... I wonder if Ludlow or Ludlow was the only sort of relative that was interested in the company and Hammond said, okay, I'll give you a, a small position on the board to keep you happy and Ludlow's used that to get up and, and now, of course, be in charge. But um... yeah, It's possible because we know that his uh, that he had at least one kid, the daughter, but she was going through a divorce at the time of Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eh, maybe Lockwood's got something to do with it all. <laughs> We'll find out in a few months. But we sort of get a day's walk, maybe more, which um, I'm not sure how far you'd walk in tropical terrain each day, but it must be a few mo- must be a few miles anyway. But you actually see on the uh, the fan maps built that um, they didn't mm-hmm. take a direct line there either. Um, no. No, actually, I th- um, based on Jurassic Park Legacy's new and most current map... I mapped it out, and I think it took them, like, a day and a half, if you count uh, from the moment they leave at in the middle of the night or early hours in the morning, whichever, and end up in the, um, and end up at San Diego sometime in the, around 1 or 2 in the morning. Hmm. So it would have taken them at least a, around a day in the first place to have gotten themselves from the, uh, this north point in the island to the center. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because there's one... It's sort of assumed, because when they sort of get going, it's obviously dark mm-hmm. when they're leaving. Um, I can't recall if we've seen anything before it, but then we get the second night shot where it's pouring rain again. Um, I don't know if that's before or after we see him sort of trekking and we hear the Trenosaur roar behind him. It's before, I think. Yeah. So that's that's already implied that they're going from night to night. So yeah, they've walked they've walked a full day, and then sometime during that night or early morning, they've um, reached the the ridge and having their sleep before they push on down to the village. Mhm. Um, yeah, they filmed um, they filmed the shot of them walking past Kathy's beach, mm. and it kind of looked like it was supposed to be dawn. It was kind of coming. Then the next shot we got was them at night again. Yeah. I don't think that it was actually intended to be dawn. It was just a day shot of them trekking. No, I think it was more like it was just a like late night shoot, because it's a private ranch, the place that they're talking about, and it's possible the rancher didn't want them out after dark. Oh, okay, yep. Yep. Which makes me wonder if the dark stuff where they're walking through the jungle in the rain, if that's just sort of back and forth on the, uh, on the camp set, once the trailers mm-hmm. moved out of the way with the sprinklers and that, because they sort of moved through a little stream as well at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was at um, 
That was at Fern Canyon, which is where we see Dieter die later oh, on. Oh, okay, that was that was up in um, Eureka. California, yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. I always thought it was a set at, uh, at the time. But it, no, I, I've, now that I've walked it, I, I do recognize the location. Oh, nice. At the end of the canyon, there's two sets of stairs as uh, the trail kind of splits off into a T. Yep. And that's where they're coming from. They're coming from down the stairs, crossing across the canyon, and then going back up to the path. Mm-hmm. There's this, these set of stairs that, on one side that leads up to the rim trail, and then another set that just goes off into the valley more. Yep. Gives me another reason why I have to go and visit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Um, but cutting back, we sort of get it, the shot changes and we see a hip flask laying on the ground. And mm-hmm. uh, Ludlow bends over to picks up and says, that's not the problem. It makes me wonder if this is the only alcohol he could find, but uh, he recognises his hip flask anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if it is his or if he's just seen it and recognises it. Oh, it's a hip flask, that's got to have alcohol on it. Because he sort of squints real bad when he takes his swig of it, <laughs> mm-hmm. like not expecting it to be vodka or something instead of scotch. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Roland sort of behind him, what what is it? What is the problem? And sort of has that frustrated tone with his voice, um, sort of realizing here that Ludlow's only interested in the uh, alcohol and. Uh, mm-hmm. After he takes his swig, he says, Velociraptors. And takes another swig, and we sort of get that, um, those flutes start to come in the background, mm-hmm. the jungle beating start to come up, the old Jurassic Park yeah. score. And, um, Which is great. It's a great leitmotif that um, John Williams kind of first introduced. We don't really get it much in the first movie because there's so much... Um, there's so much kind of action going around that's involved around the Velociraptors. We don't really get these kind of tense moments, actually, where where they're talking about them, where it's like not as, not as much foreshadowing, but more so threatening. Um, where it's like a discussion of how much of a threat they are versus how much of a um versus how intelligent they are. Hmm. Where I think that's really more what we got in the first movie was discussion of that. Yeah, and it's like a um, so, it's like a um, like a audible response to sort of bringing that fear and remembrance remembrance. Because um, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. there was once it at least played once during the Nedry when Nedry steals the embryos, just after he goes through the gates, like just that like that wailing flute. Um, yeah, that's one time when we get it during the first movie. And then another time it's um, played kind of around the end, at the end of the end credits in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. You kind of hear that whistling flute sound that it's almost like there's more raptors out there. Yeah, yeah. and that's it. It's just chilling. Because as we see here, yeah. as the minute ends, Ian pulls Curly mm-hmm. closer. And it's just... <laughs> yeah. There's one person here that knows exactly what that name is and uh, mm-hmm. how bad it can be. Which is interesting because in the movies... not. Uh, Malcolm actually never comes into contact with the raptors. Yeah. Yep. It was only in the book where he came into contact with the raptors. Hmm. Which may be why he doesn't. He knows. He knows them. He's probably probably talked with Grant or Ellie afterwards. Well, I'm sure. Well, even the kids. Yeah. Even the kids. Like he said, he's when we see him earlier on. He, he definitely he's been seeing the kids post the film. Um, mm-hmm. 
maybe he's been talking to him about him to try and help him through. Because you got to, <laughs> Timmy's got to have nightmares. <laughs> Even Lex, those kids are got to be pretty uh, traumatized. So. Yeah. And he loves kids, so he might have been the ones to uh, sit down and talk with them. Mhm. But it's just a, it's a great little great little um, sort of thing here yeah, where we just is. see him pull Kelly close. There's, there's no word spoken. Mm-hmm. Just that small. Yeah. It's which is funny because that you bring up uh, Tim having night terrors because Joe Mazzello, who plays Tim, is also plays the main character in The Pacific, and of course he comes from back from war with serious PTSD issues. Yep. So it's not like uh, Joe Mazzello is not uh, used to playing characters with kind of. Uh, anxiety issues after a traumatic event, you know? Mm. But even the filming... Like I I got nightmares from that film, Jurassic Park, I mean, just with the raptors and, and stuff. And he was actually on set <laughs> with the Tyrannosaur, like, when they stuck the... when it put its head through the sky, the sky roof of the Explorer and wasn't supposed to go all the mm-hmm. way. Like, those kids were screaming because it was true terror. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and even like we'll talking and listening to the Richard Schiff interviews last minute or the minute um, 64 just you're sitting there at the whim of the animatronic and the puppeteers um, and you, you're posting the, in the page the little robotic sort of apparatus they use to control the big dinosaurs by having little ones mm-hmm. it's got to make you wonder sometimes and if you're young it's got to stick around for some time afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you, like what you said with Richard Schiff, these are nine-ton uh, animatronics that you're dealing with from behind a 12-inch screen while playing with tiny little figurines. Yeah. One small one small mismove, and you're dead. Yep. Really. You know? No one sneeze. <laughs> All right. Anything else on 66 you want to bring up before we get out of here for the week? I just wanted to mention that I think it's interesting that the raptor leitmotif that we get here is brought back when the compies are kind of harassing uh, Dieter in the bush before he falls down the before he get, uh, realizes he's lost and falls down the hill. Mm, yep. And it's interesting that they played the raptor leitmotif there because it's like one of those red herrings, mm-hmm. you know, where you you think that it's going to be a raptor that's going to pop out of the bush, but it's, it's just a compie. Yeah, but he's still dangerous. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Data learns that firsthand. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's get the hell out of here. Contact details are on the website thelostworldminute.com. You can email feedback to thelostworldminute at gmail.com. Facebook the Lost World Minute, Twitter at the Lost World Minute, and Instagram the Lost World Minute. Easy to remember. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very easy to remember. Right. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for joining me for this recording. You're And uh, we'll be back. I've been Brad. I'm Dave. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Goodbye. Talk to you later. Bye. It is absolutely imperative that we work with the Costa Rican Department of Biological Preserves to establish a set of rules for the preservation and isolation of that island. These creatures require our absence to survive, not our help. And if we could only step aside and trust in nature, life will find a way.
I was completely unprepared for the animal rights thing. I should have looked into it a bit further because it is a dark, a dark thing. Maybe mm-hmm. if if InGen had bombed Nublo like they did in the novel, then that that would make more sense. Okay, because these animals have only just been brought into life. They've existed in their paddocks for one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, they they wouldn't have, or you wouldn't think they'd have the same rights as uh, what's on sauna anyway, because they've been there for three, four years, completely untouched by man, and thriving. 